Our scripture this morning comes to us from Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, and then I'll read Romans 7, 14 through 25. Listen now for a word from God. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any animal of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God really said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. And the serpent said to the woman, You certainly will not die, for God knows that on the day you eat from it your eyes will be opened. And you'll become like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took some of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves waist coverings. And from Romans 7. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm fleshly, sold into bondage to sin, For I don't understand what I'm doing, for I'm not practicing what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. However, if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law that the law is good, but now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that good does not dwell in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want to do. But if I do the very thing I do not want, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully agree with the law of God in the inner person, but I see a different law in the parts of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, the law which is in my body's parts. Wretched person that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. This is God's word to us. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Good and loving God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for your grace. God, thank you for this time set aside to meditate on your wisdom. Lord, I pray whatever words we would hear this morning would come from you and not from me. In Jesus' name.
Amen. The first time I heard this verse preached on, or at least the first time I remember it being preached on, I was at um, a VBS, a vacation Bible school, for those of you that may not know that term. I was at a vacation Bible school in um, West Virginia, and I went with my grandma and my grandpa. My, my grandpa was a pastor, but it wasn't his church that was putting on the VBS. It was another local church. And, you know, VBSs are kind of all structured the same. Um, it, you show up, and typically there's a sugary snack for the kids, and then there's a game that you play to get the wiggles out, and then you might have a craft, and then there's a lesson, and then you wait for your parents to show up. But the, the lessons will typically build, especially in certain uh, religious denominations, and, and they build to what's typically called commitment night or decision night, or sometimes it's called like a summit night, but essentially, you know, the minister will create these sermons that lead to the point where, um, at least in the traditions I grew up in, folks were asked to make a decision for Jesus. Have you all ever heard that language? Make a decision for Jesus, right? And, and that's typically when the altar is opened up, even for little kids in vacation Bible school. The altar is opened up, and you might go down and pray a prayer, and then you're inducted into the church as a Christian. You become a believer. Well, this VBS was really no different than that. And so, you know, we showed up, and, and on commitment night, I'll, I'll never forget the, the guy that was speaking was also a a balloon artist, and so he could make all of these really cool animals and figures out of balloons, and he was giving this talk on Genesis 3, and I'll never forget, he started with this apple that he had made, and um, he's telling us the story, and he's a pretty fiery preacher in the hills of West Virginia, and um, he, he keeps going on and on until he gets to his, uh, his final point. And his final point about this passage is that we're all evil, okay, and he's saying this to a group of little children. We're all evil, we're all broken, and we cannot be saved except for the grace of God. And that's, that's fine, I guess. I guess that's kind of what we believe, right? And then he started to do something really strange that I, I didn't know was strange at the time, but my grandma told me about after. He started to make this ladder out of these long uh, tube balloons. And he begins making this ladder, and he says, the only relief that we will find is when we die and we get to go to heaven with Jesus. And he starts acting like he's climbing this ladder. And I'll never forget this moment because at that exact time, my grandmother snatched me out of the pew and began dragging me out of the church. And she kind of ushers me into the car and we just take off. And I, I I'd had no idea why. I was, I was looking forward to, you know, running around after the, the service was over. And she's going on and I, I can tell she's stressed. I can, her, her jaw is clenched and um, I, you know, I spent a lot of time with my grandma, and I could, I, I could just tell when she was really upset. She wasn't very good at hiding it. And so we get home, and we're having dinner with my grandpa, and my grandpa asks, well, hey, how did, how did VBS go? And my grandma just starts unleashing. She just starts, wow, I can't believe he was saying this. And, you know, he told those kids they were evil. And, you know, he said this and this. And then at the end, and this is, this is the thing that broke her, he was almost encouraging those kids to die. And she said, I, I just couldn't do it anymore. I didn't want my grandson hearing that.
you know, we've all probably encountered this verse in some fashion or another, and I'm guessing, I'd, I'd, if I was a betting person, I would bet a lot of money that you've heard it interpreted uh, one of several ways. Uh, that is, this, this is the fall, right? This is where humankind was uh, originally perfect and now not so much. And if Eve just hadn't eaten that apple, we'd all be okay, right? You've probably heard that. Or you've heard it said that, you know, before this, there was no death that was introduced into the world. And so if only (laughs) this hadn't happened, we wouldn't experience these terrible things. It's always seen as this great tragedy in the timeline of humanity. It's always seen as the downfall. It's always seen as a sign that we are morally corrupt totally depraved, as John Calvin said. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. Well, I think that's one way to read this passage. It's one way to read it. I think there are other possibilities, too, and I just want to entertain one of those this morning. And we'll see how it plays. So before we begin interpreting Genesis 3, I think we need to go to Genesis 1. We need to begin in the beginning. And if you read Genesis 1 and 2, what you'll find is there are actually two different creation accounts. And you may have encountered this already. Um, And and they're actually conflicting on a couple of points. If you read Genesis chapter 1, you'll see this very ordered and structured poem for how creation comes to be. You know, in the beginning... Um, God said, let there be light, and then there was light. And then God said, let there be um, this, and then there was this and that. And it it goes all the way down until this culminating point where human beings are created. Human beings are actually the crowning achievement of God's creation. Human beings are the pinnacle, according to Genesis 1. And God blesses humankind and calls us good and sends us out in the world to be fruitful and to multiply. There's a blessing. In Genesis chapter 2, it's, it's essentially the same, but the, the main difference is that um, it's not just humanity that's the crowning achievement. It's actually the woman that's the crowning achievement of creation. The woman comes last. The woman is the, the final thing put in there, and, and, and still God blesses the original humans. And so what a lot of theologians and scholars have said is that actually there's, um, there's a case to be made for humans having original blessing, an original kind of goodness. That if we begin in the beginning, what we see is this picture of humanity being called good. But if you begin in Genesis chapter 3, <laughs> you begin with a curse. If you read the text closely, I think you'll find that God is actually not so upset about what's happening in Genesis 3. So the serpent shows up, right? And there's this great back and forth between the serpent and Eve. The serpent says, did God really say that you shouldn't eat those fruits of the tree? And Eve, Eve says back, well, you know, God didn't say we can't eat any of the fruits. It's just this one tree that's in the middle of the garden. We can't eat of that or touch it, which is something she adds. 
That's not part of the original command. We can't even touch it or we will die. And the serpent kind of tempts her and, and says, oh, really, you're not going to die. And, and there's actually this great uh, uh, rabbi that says that the serpent actually had hands and feet at this time. This is before the curse that comes later on in Genesis 3. So the serpent took, you know, his hands and, and touched the fruit and said, oh, surely you're not going to die. See, I'm, I'm holding the fruit. And the woman sees and says, yeah, I guess you're not, you didn't die. <laughs> you touched the fruit, that's okay. And, and she looks at the fruit a little bit longer and she's looking at it thinking, oh, wow. It looks good. It smells good. It looks like all the other fruit we eat. And it's so beautiful and actually maybe taking it in will bring some wisdom. Did you catch that in the text? <laughs> she, there's something about it that she knows it, it might change her. It might give her something. And so she takes it, and she touches it, and she eats it, and it's good. It's so good, she offers it to Adam, who's standing right beside her, and Adam takes a bite, and he likes it, and it tastes good. <laughs> and the first thing that happens and this is the thing I want us to focus on. The first thing that happens is not God doesn't get really, really upset and come thundering down from the heavens and say, oh my goodness, what did you just do? And Adam and Eve don't get really, really scared and say, oh, I can't believe we just broke the commandment of God. Look at what we did. Actually, they, they look down and they think, oh, wow, we're not wearing any clothes. That's their first thought. We're naked. And this is a thought that they haven't had before. And maybe they look around at other things and they start to notice other things that are different. Oh, wow, we're naked and, and we're different than these things and, and why can't we see this? And then suddenly they hear God walking in the garden. And they become so self-conscious and so self-aware and so ashamed of their naked bodies that they go and they hide. And even still, I'm, I'm not going to take time to go through the rest of the chapter, even still as they go and, and they receive these curses, God doesn't seem so upset. God seems to just be communicating, hey, now that you've done this and you've kind of woken up, you've become conscious of yourselves, you've become self-aware, you know things that before you didn't know, because you've done this, here's going to be some consequences for that. You're going to know that you're going to die. From dust you come, to dust you shall return. And maybe they didn't know that before. I mean, they didn't know they were naked. So why would they know they're going to die, right? They become self-conscious and self-aware. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, is it? It's good to have a little bit of knowledge of yourself. It's good to be a little bit self-aware, and I think for centuries we've read this as some tragic moral failing when actually it might just be this great ancient myth that is trying to tell humans across the centuries there's going to be a moment when you wake up and you realize things about yourself. Have you ever had a moment like that? <laughs> and it typically will happen when you make mistakes, but sometimes it happens in, in other ways too. I, you know, the moment you realize like, I'm trying to think of an example right now. I, 
I don't think I knew I was an impatient driver and still, until I started riding with Sarah <laughs> everywhere because Sarah's, Sarah's infinitely patient. And, you know, she would, like, tell me, she's like, it's okay, just calm down. It's all right. If you just get in one lane, stick to one speed, we'll be fine. You know, I, I didn't know that about myself until I was beside her. It's a self-awareness, self-consciousness. It means I need to be a little bit more patient, yes. It's also just part of who I am. This self-consciousness and this self-awareness can be a gift and it can be a curse. It's, it's really hard to know the difference between good and evil. And I think, Paul, I think Paul really plays this out for us in the verse that we read today. You know, the things that I know I need to do and the things that I want to do and the things that I know are good to do, well, I can't do them. You know, and I don't know why I can't do them, right? Has anyone ever had that feeling? Like the things you know you want to do, you just never do. And the things you know you shouldn't do, it's like, you, it's like the only thing you can do sometimes. And why is that? And the most torturous part is maybe not the actions, right? The things that you're doing that you shouldn't be doing or the things that you shouldn't be doing in lieu of the things you should be doing. I'm confusing myself now with all this language. You know, we know, we know those things and the most torturous part might be the knowing of it, the wrestling with it. That might be the greatest curse in all of this. It's the knowledge that you can choose either path. You can go one way or another. And you know this about yourself too, don't you? You know your faults. You know the things you need to change. You probably don't need anyone to tell you <laughs> about yourself. It can be helpful. Sometimes we have, we have blind spots. That's still there. But I think, I think most of us, deep down, if we're willing to acknowledge it, we know how we need to grow. We know our shortcomings. We know the path we've been on. And that self-consciousness... It's a burden to bear. It's part of life, though, isn't it? So, I don't know if we need to read Genesis 3 as this great moral failing all the time, though it does give us a great explanation for why we often don't do the things we know we need to do. It gives us a good explanation for why the world's not always perfect helps us understand a little bit about ourselves, but maybe, maybe if we begin in Genesis 1, we begin in Genesis 2, we begin where people have said there is original blessing, and we see that from that blessing there comes this responsibility of self-awareness, of choice, of a kind of freedom of our actions that we will have to carry whether we like it or not. If we can come to see that and still know that God called us good, maybe we can put away some of that shame. Maybe we can let go of some of our baggage. Maybe we can stop beating ourselves up for not being the people that we wish we could be. And maybe, 
we can rest in, in the grace of God and trust that when God called us good in the beginning, that pronouncement is echoing even still today. Will you pray with me? Good and loving God, thank you for life. Thank you for self-consciousness and self-awareness. God, I pray you would help us bear its burden. Help us to do the things that we want to do, God. Help us to avoid the things we know we shouldn't do. In Jesus' name, amen.